so great to be with you. Uh, super excited uh, to have the opportunity to continue in a series that we're in. Uh, it's called Consider the Source. And this morning, uh, basically what it is, is it's a journey through the first six chapters of First Corinthians. And so we find ourselves in chapter two of First Corinthians this morning. And so uh, what we do is we kind of break it down into thoughts, uh, sections of thoughts. And so we're going to actually read the whole chapter of First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. So if you've never read a chapter of the Bible, get ready. Here it comes. <laughs> Boom. You can follow along, as uh, Meredith's already mentioned, uh, on version through the app, or you can look at the screens and follow along there. It says, and I, this is the Apostle Paul, who, has, who is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. It says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thought of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in the words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that we have the opportunity to open your word and to learn from it. And so I pray this morning that you would speak to us, that we would have an encounter with you, and that we would leave this place forever changed as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So we continue on in uh, in First Corinthians, and uh, if you if you've been here in past weeks, uh, there's a theme that Paul's kind of thumping on the Corinthians about. He's kind of pushing against this idea of self-reliance, and uh, and so if it seems like I'm kind of harping on that, it's really because that's what Paul's harping on, and we're going through the text. So as I started to reflect the things that have been important to me throughout my life, there are different seasons where I've kind of leaned into something that was all encompassing, like it was the thing. And, and one thing kind of raised above everything else because of how absurd it was. And that was my pursuit of a car. Um, 
I wanted so badly the freedom to drive, and I wanted so badly uh, the, the freedom to be able to say, hey, I'll give you a ride, and I'll drive, or I'll take it, whatever, that I didn't even care about what the car looked like. If it started and moved, it was glorious. And so I remember the search. I remember going from car to car, and uh, my, my decision was really based on what it is I could afford. And so I would just look at a car if it was too much. I, I wasn't interested, but I would kind of look at it longingly and be like, someday my chariot awaits, you know? And uh, I would search and search and search. And I remember the moment when uh, something came up in a newspaper. Uh, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. Um, so uh, I, I remember seeing this car and I, what was so beautiful about it was its price. <laughs> it was $500. You believe that? You used to be able to buy a car for $500. That's crazy. I'm that old. It happened. But in either case, I remember getting a ride from my parents out uh, to this community, to this back road, and, and, and I get out and I see it in its splendor and its beauty. A 1979 Buick Regal two-door piece of garbage. <laughs> it was everything I had all hoped and ever imagined, right? And so I go and I'm like, I can't believe this is only 500 bucks. And so the guy comes out and he goes, yeah, uh, you know, my mother, and he was the age of my dad. So he's talking really about my grandmother's age. My, my mother just doesn't drive anymore. And so it just sits here. And, you know, so I, I'd love to, to sell it if you're interested. And so I was like, it's beautiful, you know? And so my dad gets underneath and he's like, hey, you know, the frame's kind of rusted out. And I was like, it's okay. It's all right. Like, you know, and, and we opened up the door and it kind of dropped a little bit because it was a two door. And the, the doors, if you're familiar with that car, was like the size of a, a whole room. You know, it's like, clink, and so it kind of opens up and there is the most beautiful blue shag carpet your eyes have ever seen, right? And it smelled like mothballs and everything disturbing, right? It was glorious. And so I get into this car, this ginormous door. I'm like pulling all my, slam it shut. I'm like, this is amazing. This is incredible. And so can I start it? So I start it up and it barely starts, which is just music to my ears. And I look over and lo and behold, there's a glorious, uh, surrounded by this fake plastic wood is inserted an eight track player. <laughs> now a majority of the room has no idea what I'm talking about. I didn't know what that was, but I thought that's the biggest cassette opening I've ever seen in my life. And my dad's like, that's for an eight track. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I like it. You know, and so I, it was just everything was in, so I took it out for a, a test drive and I drove it around and I don't even care. I didn't care. I didn't care. All I knew was I could afford it. And so I went in and with cash, I bought my first car, $500. And I went and I filled it up with gas for 75 cents a gallon. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't believe that. But my entire world was enamored and saturated and prioritized by the possession of a vehicle. I didn't care about its quality. I didn't care about anything except a car. And so I want to tell you this morning, we all get enamored by something. Something is the priority of our lives. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, or I want you to ask yourself is, what is my life's priority? What is my life's priority right now? Right now in your season of life, because I'm assuming we all made it here, so we either have a car or we know somebody with a car. <laughs> so, so maybe your life's priority right now isn't a, a car, or maybe it is. Maybe it's a better car or a nicer car or a better job or whatever it might be. The fact is, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey this morning, 
and I acknowledge that there's all of us in this room, from those that would identify as committed Christ followers all the way through to the the skeptic, arms crossed, not sure that there is a God, and everywhere in between. The reality is, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, we have one thing in common. We have a priority in our life right now. We have a priority in our life. And if you're super spiritual, you're like, my priority is Jesus. That's amazing. That's a good church answer. So maybe, maybe your priority is religiosity. I don't know. But in either case, we all have a flesh priority of our lives right now. We all have something that we're leaning into. And, and much of the church at Corinth was focused on self-reliance and prioritizing things that were secondary, secondary to the things of God. So much of our culture in the U.S. is based on self-reliance and the priority of getting more or leaning into whatever something larger or better might be. And so Paul opens up this chapter. I'm going to reread verses uh, 1 through 2 as we kind of unpack the text this morning. He says this, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Paul is saying here is kind of at face value. He's saying, listen, I didn't try to wow you. I focused on the gospel. And I want to tell you this morning, we here at Centerway, as we're in our infancy, the one thing that we want you to know, that we want all of us to know, is that the non-negotiable is the gospel. In fact, our our logo, if you've seen it, um, and we'll put it up on the screen so you can see it, in the center of our logo, you'll see uh, a cross. And it's up there kind of behind the verses but they'll get it. There it is. So <laughs> you'll see right there, there's an X in the center. And the X stands for Chi, which is the symbol for Christ. But the, the center of our logo is focused around Jesus being the center, that the gospel is the center of all that we do. So what I'm saying is we're going to talk about Jesus a lot. We're going we're gonna to talk about the gospel a lot. We're going to keep it central to all things because the gospel is not about priority. And just so you know, we'll have informational meetings about how it is that you can connect and understand us more. But for the sake of understanding the logo in its entirety, the the arrow on the left is being spirit-led. In the center is gospel-focused, gospel-centered, and to the right is disciple-making. And so our strategy, everything that we do is the idea of being led by the spirit, keeping the gospel the center, and then making disciples. Because that's what, great, that's what Christ has called us to do. So as you kind of understand uh, uh, us a little bit more in the days and weeks ahead, I want to continue through about what it is that the Lord has for all of us corporately this morning and what Paul is asking us. So in, chap- in verse 3 of chapter 2, he goes on and he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now realize this, Paul isn't saying that the message of the gospel lacks wisdom. On the contrary, he's saying that he didn't manipulate or persuade by his presentation. And I think we live in a day and age where the temptation is to try to to wow people, to kind of persuade people, to get to a place where you can say, listen, isn't God so attractive? Listen, if you just give your life to the Lord, money will just be found everywhere you go. Your troubles will be eliminated. Arguments, no more. You know, like, it's like we create this false reality of like, listen, you lean into Jesus and all your troubles go away. But that's not 
reality. And that's not what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. He, he wasn't saying, listen, I, I manipulated you guys so well with my oratory skills. Because in that time and in that place of Corinth, there's a, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, elevation of oratory skills. And so if you remember that from past weeks, like they really elevated the eloquence of communication. And so Paul's saying, listen, I didn't do that. I didn't come and wow you with the way that I presented things. I just, I, pre- I preached Christ crucified. That's what I did. I just bared in front of you the reality of the gospel and allowed God to do what only he can do. And so you see, the message of the cross is a powerful one. And like Paul, we're committed to presenting the gospel and allowing the spirit of God to speak to you and to speak to me, us, in a manner that only God can. So that when you leave this place, you aren't wondering if like you were persuaded. That maybe in a moment, you know, the key change happened in the song and everybody's like, and they put their hands up and you're like, there is a God, I'm in, you know. We're not, we're not about that. It's just not in us. I don't like to be manipulated, and I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus needs us to be manipulated. In fact, I would say that if we try to convince and manipulate, what we're really doing is diminishing the power of the gospel. And I want to tell you the power of God is strong enough to transform any heart. And so we just want to communicate the truth of the gospel and allow God to do what only God can do. So I want to encourage you to consider the possibility that maybe you could come into this place and have an encounter with God that literally changes everything. Verses seven through eight, I wanna focus on as we continue through the text. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they knew the mystery. I remember when, when I first read this text uh, years ago as a teenager, maybe even a preteen, I remember thinking through like a mystery. Wait a second, there's a mystery that was revealed? And like, oh, I gotta find this mystery. The mystery is what he's talking about. If you read the passage in context, he talks about it earlier in chapter one. The mystery he's talking about is the secret of the cross. The scandal that is the cross, that, that the God of heaven would come and lay down his life for you and for me. And what I, what I think is compelling here is that what Paul is saying is they would not have acted the way they did if they understood. Listen to the implications here. Paul is saying those that are mature, or what we would say in our language, those that know Christ, should act differently. Why? because they're told to behave, because it's the spiritual thing to do. (laughs) No, because of what they know. That knowledge transforms the way we function. So I have a question for you to kind of consider. Has your knowledge of the cross reordered the affections of your heart? Has your knowledge of the cross reordered the affections of of your heart. What are your priorities? What are they? I think we kind of get lulled in the culture that we're in to say like, well, it's okay though. It's, it's all right for me to really prioritize uh, being a husband. It, it really, it's okay for me to really prioritize providing like God wants me to provide. It's all right to prioritize things, but there's a difference between 
prioritizing things in light of who God is and prioritizing things above who God is. You see, the difference is when you prioritize things based on the cross, the knowledge of the cross is informing the way you function in those environments. So you know how to be a better husband because Jesus humbled himself and laid down his life. And so what does it look like for me to humble myself as a husband? You see, I'm being informed by the truth of the cross. I'm not saying like, I need to try harder on my marriage. (laughs) You talk to a lot of people that try that, it doesn't work out well. So what does it look like to, to allow the truth of the gospel to prioritize everything that we do? I want to submit to you another thought that we're transformed to the level of our understanding. That we're actually transformed to the level of our understanding. And so what I mean by that is our unwillingness to forgive, our unwillingness to extend grace, maybe our unwillingness to evaluate ourselves, our unwillingness to be humble. Maybe I'm alone in the room this morning. I'm just talking about myself as far as my unwillingness to do these things. But our unwillingness to do those things in different moments are really evidence of not understanding the gospel. Our understanding informs the way we function. If we really understand the truth of the gospel, it allows us to look on on life with a different lens. And that's what Paul is talking about here. At the end of verse 10, moving on through verse 11, he says this, it says, for the spirit teaches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thought of God, thoughts of God, except the spirit of God. The key to understanding God's wisdom is linked to the Holy Spirit. That's what we're figuring out here. And Paul uses something amazing that you may not uh, realize just looking at the text at face value. What he's doing is he's referring to Greek philosophers in this text. And so the Greek philosophers of that day would say something like this. They would present that uh, like is only known by like. So what that means is they would say the gods, because they believed in many gods, they would say the gods are only known by the gods. So if you want to really know a god, you'd have to be a god. And so Paul is appealing to the, to the knowledge and the wisdom of the day, and he's saying something rather profound. He's saying only God can know God. Only God can know God. What's compelling about this, as you kind of sit in a moment of tension, <laughs> is that the Greeks would use this as a way of distancing ourselves from the gods. They're beyond our comprehension. But what's incredible and compelling about what Paul is saying here is that only God can know God, which is why Jesus Christ had to come and lay down his life for you and for me so that we can be in relationship with God, so that we can know God. You see, the, the, in essence, if we've been transformed by the truth of the gospel, it's because the spirit of God is in you. The spirit of God is in you. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't look to yourself for answers, for the wisdom of this world. Instead, lean in to the truth of the cross, the scandal, the mystery of who God is. I think there's levels of wisdom and awareness. In fact, I know there is, I'll prove it to you. Um, 
you know, like can only know like, right? In order to understand a parent, you have to be a parent. Like, really. You can say, like, I understand them, but you can't understand the dynamic of parenting until you've been a parent, right? So here's the deal. Here's a word, here's a phrase that means something, right? Blowout, right? So <laughs> there's already some chuckles like, uh, all right. When I had my first car driving down the road, a blowout was when the tire would blow. That's a blowout. Like, oh, dad, yeah, I have a blowout. He's like, oh, all right, we'll, we'll come out. Put the, do you have a, a spare, right? So to some of you, you're like, yeah, that's what a blowout is. I don't understand where we're going here. Well, if you are a parent, you know a blowout is when your kid lights up their diaper so bad that it just blows out everywhere. And you're like, yeah, we got a blowout here, hon. I don't, I'm not sure what happened. It's up to the shoulder blades, down the legs. I, it's a blowout. Boom, right? So unless you had a kid and you know what it is to be a parent and hold that up and be like, blowout. The language means something different. So you, you can know a parent, but you don't understand the dynamic of a parent until you've been a parent. It's perspective, perspective. Now, I could get two parents up here and say, you guys have a common connection in the context of being a parent, right? And they could laugh and tell jokes and whatever. But I could look at one parent and say, hey, do you know the internal thoughts of the other parent? No. Oh, but you guys are both parents, right? Yeah, no, you don't know the inner thoughts of another person. We will only ever know the inner thoughts of that parent if they choose to reveal their thoughts to us. And so I want to submit to you this morning that we can only understand the gospel to the level that it has been revealed to us. And before you begin to think that that's a message of exclusivity, it's a message of, the, of inclusive. And the reason why it's an inclusive message is because the message of the cross declares that anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you want to know who God is, you can simply call out to him. We must embrace the limits of our own understanding and consider the source. Consider the source. If you want to know the heart of God, you must increase your proximity to him. And that means responding when you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. You see, when we ask the Lord to come and be the Lord and leader of our life, and we have God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit come and take residence within us, we, we can then be known by God, and we can know God fully because we increase our proximity, and the Spirit of God is coming alive in us. That's the, the story of sanctification, that once we cross that line of salvation, God has called us holy. But there's an ongoing process that leads to the, the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in our lives. And it's a process that only occurs when we increase our proximity to God enough to where our thoughts start being transformed. To where our hearts, the affections of our hearts, start being transformed. That we have the ability to know the heart of God and respond accordingly. I pray often, God, would you break my heart for the things that break yours? Because I'll tell you, it's hard for me. It's hard for me in certain things. I can walk right past people that are broken because I have somewhere to go or something to do. And I want the, the heart of God, I, I want his spirit to speak to me in such a way that I know when to slow down, when to be silent in the midst of disagreement, <laughs> when to extend forgiveness, even though I know I'm right. A willingness to, to be humble in the midst of the journey to display what it is to be transformed by the truth of the gospel and to respond to the conviction when the Holy Spirit convicts me of what it is I'm doing. It's amazing 
how people in certain circles will get to a place and say, oh, that, yeah, I'm not convicted by that. Almost like it's a badge of honor. It's like, listen, I have, uh, I have functioned in this sin so long that I no longer feel bad about it. Freedom. What? Are you sure? That doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like maybe you're not being transformed by the truth of the gospel. And, and so we have to get to a place where we allow God to, to change our perspective, to, to change our priorities, to mess up our world, to reorder our priorities. And I'm not talking about condemnation. I think there's some people that confuse conviction with condemnation. Condemnation is a tool that the enemy uses to make you feel bad about uh, the sins of your past, the, the things that you can't get beyond according to your own heart, your own wisdom, or the, the wisdom of the enemy. Like, listen, remember you did this, remember you did that, feel shame, feel, feel, no, it, God has come and paid the price. That is the truth of the gospel. That is what he has done on the cross. It is done. And so now he wants you to be transformed. And as you live your life, that when you begin to allow the affections of your heart to wander and your priorities to get out of order, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would remind you, listen, you're wrong. You're wrong. And then you'd have a willingness to say, okay, God, would you show me your heart? Would you show me your perspective? I humble myself. God, would you speak to me? You see the difference? It's a transformation by being in proximity to Christ. Verse 14, Paul goes on, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him or foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The understanding of the gospel and submission to God to be the Lord and leader of your life should transform your thoughts. And it requires us to ask ourselves, where do I need the gospel to bring about a perspective change in my life? And so as you leave this, this place, I, I want you to consider the implications of that application because we can come to a church service and we can hang out with some people, which I love. I love to see you guys getting to know each other and laughing and joking and just drinking all the coffee and eating all the donuts. I love it. But if we just come and attend something and we leave this place having had simply a church service, then we're missing out on the fullness of what's intended. And so we have to apply the text. The text requires something from us this morning. And so as you leave this place, I want you to consider where do I need the gospel to bring about a perspective change in my life? Is it in your marriage? Is it in the relationship that you have with your parents, with a, with a sibling, with a, a work dynamic? I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what it is that the Holy Spirit is maybe doing in your heart or in your mind. But I guarantee this. There's somewhere in your life that you need the gospel to bring a perspective change. There's somewhere in my life. And, it, and it's nothing that you ever mature out of. You never get to a place where you're like, yeah, the gospel, I think that was just for my salvation. No. It wins you and it grows you. And so as you get in proximity to Christ, as you lean in and declare yourselves available, the transformation that will take place as you allow the Lord to reorder the priorities of your life changes your perspective. So for a moment, I want to speak just to the believers in the room. Those of you that consider yourselves Christ follower. If we've asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of our lives, we shouldn't be limited to the wisdom of this world. And what I mean by that is I see a lot of people in our world, in Christendom as a whole, that live 
right next to someone that says there is no God. And the way they make decisions, the priorities of their life are the same. And it's not biblical. You see, the person that proclaims to be a follower of Christ is one that has a different decision-making process, that has a different thought process. And it doesn't mean that they're like creepy weirdos that like walk out and be like, good morning, hallelujah, today is the day that the Lord has made. <laughs> You're like, wow, I need to buy a new house. You know, like, we got to get out of this neighborhood. I'm scared of that dude. You know, I'm not saying let's walk around like a hyper-spiritual weirdos. I'm saying a... a um, a process that we go through where our decision-making grid is different than the person next door. That we don't process the, the, uh, the, we need more stuff the same way that the person next door processes we need more stuff. You understand that the transformation of what it is that Christ has done on a cross should reorder and reprioritize our lives. And if you don't see the marks of that and the fingerprints of that in your life, then I believe that the Holy Spirit is reordering something in you. And honestly, he's reordering something in me. It's something that, that our kids, they're just their default because they're in this world is to lean into the priorities of this world. And so we have to, to speak to them the truth of the gospel, even at a young age. And I want to let you know this morning, your, your children are going through the same exact content that I'm going through. And so they're going to have the same application questions. So you have the ability as you leave this place to talk about, listen, how does the gospel bring about perspective change in your life? They'll have slightly different wording, but same concept. You'll be able to, to process that even as a family if you choose to. But it should be different. The wisdom of this world is simply that. It's just wisdom of this world. The horizontal. The end of verse 16, Paul says this. But we have the mind of Christ. I love it. Like he just ends it like, boom, drop the mic, you know? but we have the mind of Christ. That should change things. The perspective of the cross changes everything, if we'll allow it. If we'll allow the knowledge base that we have gained to transform and reorder every aspect of our lives. And again, not a message of exclusivity. The cross levels the playing field. And says it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. Jesus Christ died for you. And if you'll call out to him, you can know him. And as you increase your proximity to him, he's going to transform your heart. He's going to transform your mind. It'll be evident to everyone you come in, come in contact with. In fact, it will be foolishness to the people of this world. It'll blow their mind that in the midst of pain and difficulty with tears streaming down your face, you say, but God, he never left me. He never forsook me. And so he's going to walk me through this. I'm not okay with the pain, but I'm empowered through the pain because Jesus is with me. You see, it reorders everything. It's not about getting more stuff when all of a sudden we say, hey, you know what? I, I want to give more stuff because God's blessed me. And so I want to provide. And we have opportunity to leverage our resources and our finances, not, not in programs, although programs are fine, but Instead, to intentionally say, we're going to spread the truth of the gospel because God's given us much and we're taking that with responsibility for his glory and his honor, that people would come to know him. And so I want you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And if you're uncomfortable closing your eyes, you can leave them open. I'll, I get lost in my own thoughts if I close my eyes, so feel free to keep them open. But the reason I'm having you do that is I, I want you to, to take a moment to focus before we go into worship this morning and respond I want us to, to take a moment to allow the Lord to search our hearts. 
And this morning, as, as we consider where it is that we need the gospel to bring about a perspective change in our lives, I want you to, to maybe whisper that in your heart and mind. God, what perspective needs to be changed? And I, I got to tell you, you know it. Almost immediately, the God of heaven will reveal the thing that he's been speaking to you. Maybe for some of you this morning, you haven't surrendered your life to him. And so you've come to this place, maybe you've been several times, maybe this is your first time this morning, and, and you're far from God. I don't pretend to know everybody's dynamic in, the, in this room, but if that's you this morning, your application is to cross the line of faith. To say, all right, God, the perspective I need to change in my life is that I have to stop living for myself, and I want you to be the center, the Lord and leader of my life. If that's you this morning, it's as simple as praying a prayer in the quietness of your mind right now, saying, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Thank you for what you did on the cross. Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. If you're praying that prayer this morning, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, and we'll talk about it at the end. For everyone else in this room, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as, as you consider things, I want you to, I want you to consider the different areas of your life the relationships, maybe finances, decisions that are on the table, jobs, internal perspective, the way you look at the world, your expectations. Consider it all this morning and allow the Holy Spirit, God in you, to reveal the heart of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict the areas that need convicting. Declare yourselves available to, to allow God to speak this morning in your heart and in your mind in the quietness of this moment. I want to challenge you as we go into worship that maybe you lay some things down, some offenses that you've carried, maybe some pride that you need to lay down before you make that situation right, whatever it is or a decision that you need to consider with a spouse as you leave this place. I, I don't know what it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, but I want to give you the space to do that, whether it's writing something down or putting it in your phone. If you're in this room this morning and you say, I, I do this, I do this every morning, I, I allow the Lord to reorder my perspective. Every morning when I wake up, I, I allow the truth of the gospel to inform my day. If that's you this morning, then I want to challenge you to, to ask the Lord what else he has for you to do, what it looks like to be missional in your world, to live on mission. Okay, God, I, I've, I've allowed you to speak into every aspect of my life, so what is the thing that, that I don't see, but that you see in the spiritual? Where's a need that I can meet? Where's somewhere that I can be active? Who's a person that needs to know truth? Who's someone that needs an invitation? to this church or to another church. It's not about growing centerway. It's, it's about spreading the gospel. Who is it that needs to hear truth? Has God put somebody in your sphere of influence that you just remain silent as they talk about the pain of their life or they go through the cycle of the struggle of, of the, I need more, I need more, I need more, I want more. And, and there you are with the answer, with the secret, the mystery of the cross. Consider the implications. Father, we come to this place this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for that which you have done that we could not do for ourselves. 
Lord, we simply declare ourselves available this morning. We want to assign worship and worth to you. We want to put you as the priority utmost in our life. And so with that commitment and the application fresh in our heart and mind, Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender to you and we direct all of the glory and honor to your name, to who you are, in spirit and in truth.